Hello all you lovely people and welcome back to the RJ Sujay Ikigai podcast. On episode 12 today we have another inspiring and interesting guest as usual. Her name is Ritu David. She's an actuary turned designer turned entrepreneur. Yes, whose self-professed claim is that she is in constant beta and she's looking to grow intellectually and shrink physically. <laughs> well Ritu has been a founder for a while now and right now she's parallelly running not one not two but three companies the data duck alum bloom and oasis health tech and if you want to know some fun facts about her she's a very busy dog mom and also a professional swimmer and here she is ritu how are you doing today hi sujata i'm really well i'm really well and thanks for having me here Yeah absolutely I've been waiting to do this I I can't tell you how long I've waited and I'm so excited to have a fellow entrepreneur and a woman entrepreneur uh you know and uh, from a field that I don't understand too much about which is tech so can you tell us a bit more about what you do and what got you here Sure I I sort of stumbled upon where I am I guess uh like a lot of people <laughs> um I think my um experiences over time just filtered me uh into landing uh into the world of tech so i started off with um using data and uh helping governments and companies um assess their data to solve problems uh that was relatively technical but we didn't have big data sets so we were using a lot of um you know programming skills etc to run it so i was sort of into tech but not in the depths of it i was using tech uh more than i was creating it and uh and then i realized i love absolutely love design uh i love designing programs i love designing interfaces i love designing um messaging uh anything that facilitates creative problem solving really so when both of those met uh i realized that tech is the perfect space big data was blowing up about a decade ago um i had an actuarial uh and data science background so i could you know take advantage of that uh tech companies were looking for uh behavioral scientists who understood data and understood people as well to some extent so i was very very lucky um to be quite sought after in in consulting i then realized that i really wanted to do things my way uh and I wanted to have a team. I think it's it was quite lonely for me. I'm an only child. Uh we're a nuclear family. Uh so it was quite lonely to be working by yourself all the time. So uh yeah, I think I think out of uh, my need for love <laughs> I um I created a team and and here we are today. Amazing. And how big is your team uh, right now at the Data Duck? uh we're 63 people spread uh between melbourne and mumbai and what is it that you do you know uh, when we were conversing just before we started recording we were talking about uh, ethical and usable data etc etc so i want our listeners to hear about your thoughts on that apart from what you do at the data duck sure um so at the data duck what what we do and what we really try to do is create tech that gets used uh so 97% of code does not get used really i find this to be like a horrifying percentage you know and maybe that's reduced um a little bit to 
over time, but I'm pretty sure it's upwards of 80% still today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Now imagine all that money, all those man hours, all those, or all those people hours, um, all those, uh, those dreams that people had when they're coding about how this would be eventually used, just smashed. So I just feel that it takes a toll on mental health. It takes a toll on the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really takes a toll on our allocation of resources. I feel that our resources can be uh, op- better optimized if we spend them on things that actually got used. Right. So, um, at DataDuck, we help firms design and then develop, if they would like the development part, tech that will definitely get used. So tech that's... Um, designed around user needs and uh, we use, we have behavioral scientists on board. uh, We have user experience designers on board, psychologists, people who really work on understanding um, the human condition and the human mind. And, and uh, yeah, we use a lot of user research to ensure everything we design has a purpose. Everything we design has a reason and everything we design has value. Wow. And how do you, you know, actually get employees to understand or I would say um, adapt to your culture? Because this is a very different culture from what most tech, uh, you know, tech companies would follow. Right. So how does it work? It's it's been uh, quite strange. In fact, initially, we just started with me plus Mm. one other person. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, we just we just didn't think about doing it any other way. We always put the user in the center and uh, we started designing things that were quite popular. And we had, uh, I think this was about 10 years ago. We said, okay, our goal is that we are going to uh, ensure that every phone in the world has an app that we've designed. Wow. Uh, And that was the goal of, you know, usability, right? That people are actually using products that we spend our our time effort um, designing. Mm -hmm. So that was a goal. And then more and more people got drawn by that goal. I think that, you know, you actually get to see the outcome of all your hard work. Uh, The tech industry is like known to be quite... um, quite exhausting and mentally draining because you never see the outcome of your work mm-hmm. sort of like government sometimes <laughs> uh, I guess so it's been it's been something that's brought people together right and I feel that you know there are a lot of creative people who find so much joy when they design an ad and they see it on tv or they design um, a billboard and they drive past it there's a real sense of ownership and creation uh, we're just doing the digital version of that right Amazing. I I think that's simply amazing. And I love the parallel that you drew to the government as well. (laughs) Quite hilarious. Anyway, uh, moving on, Ritu, or moving back, as I would call it. Uh, You know, you grew up in Australia, am I correct? Yeah, I grew up in Kenya and Australia. Okay. How did that influence who you are today? I definitely feel that it's uh, my Australian experience, especially, has changed the way... um, I view things completely in in the sense that Australia is a very egalitarian society. Right. We are we try to be as inclusive as we can be. We try to be as ethical as we can be because we can afford to. Uh, there's 22 million people. There's a lot of money, you know. Uh, and and I think that that 
continue, like people make a lot of effort. We stumble sometimes, but everyone makes a lot of effort to be ethical and inclusive. And that has forced the way and completely changed the way I think compared to people I think who grew up elsewhere, where perhaps in being inclusive, being ethical wasn't placed at the top of the list. Mm. Uh, I know in America, it's very capitalist. And the price of, uh, you can't often afford to be ethical and inclusive. Right. So I just love the fact that Australia um, is a bountiful nation that allows for people to be ethical and inclusive. And I think that goodness is at the core of us as human beings. It's just that sometimes um, our incentives aren't aligned. Uh, for us to behave in that sense. So in Australia, definitely incentives within the community and um, corporates at large and government as well is is about being ethical and inclusive. And I love that. Mm. So that's something I've taken from my Australian experience. I think I learned empathy and teamwork in Kenya. There is something beautiful about Kenya. Mm -hmm. When you drive rural Kenya, you see children that have absolutely nothing but are phenomenally happy. Mm. You know, you can sit next, you can park your BMW, sit next to them, tell them your problems and they'll have empathy. That's so beautiful. It's, it's, uh, I go, I, not now because of the pandemic, but we try to go back to Kenya every year just to be in touch with that sense of uh, humility, that sense of beauty, that sense of, it's okay if you have a different lived experience. I can still be empathetic towards you. Your cognitive experience can be different to mine, but doesn't mean you don't feel pain. And uh, whether that pain is pain from hunger or that pain is pain from not meeting up to your own expectations, pain is still pain and it's universal. And I think that's something that uh, I really learned growing up in Kenya, that, that there are universal experiences uh, universal uh, emotions that bind us together as humanity. And, and it's when we forget those uh, that I think we lose sight of sight of the world. Oh, my God. I'm so glad you're here, Ritu, and you're saying these words because, you know, as you're saying, pain is universal, so is kindness, you know. You said that earlier. Absolutely. And I think kindness is something that uh, people have really uh, awakened to uh, during the pandemic. Uh, somewhere I feel, right, you know, each one of us feels that a lot more coming from other people, right? What would you say? Absolutely. I think we're becoming more empathetic. We're becoming, you know, less rigid about what it means to be a professional. Uh, we're seeing people's value for what they bring to the table and not what they project. Mm. Uh, and I love that. I love that, you know, it, we laugh at uh, someone walking into rooms. We laugh at topless husbands in the background <laughs> at like, you know, <laughs> dogs like jumping on desks yes. and all that stuff. I think it's beautiful. Um, but that's, you know, that's a sort of percentage of the world that, uh, you know, are the haves, you know, we're lucky enough to have home offices. Mm. We're lucky enough to be able to work from home. Um, I'm not sure how this uh, pandemic has been um, for for those who are the have-nots. Um, so I'm really keen, I guess, as we learn from this pandemic to see how the world uh, looks at collective problem solving and looking at the UN Sustainable Development Goals and saying, 
how can each one of us facilitate those no matter what we do we don't need to be in development to you know propel a sustainable development goal whatever goal connects with you be it you know livable cities be it sustainable environment be it women and children whatever it is um i think we can all find a way to help one goal hmm hmm amazing amazing and i hope each of the listeners who's tuned in connects to this i'm sure i'm sure but as you're saying it's more about not about the haves but more about the have nots you know it's about connecting to them you know and helping them i think this is really really noble and um, and ritu through your ethical and usable tech how do you think i know this is not something that we discussed earlier as a question but just came to mind how do you think uh, you can participate in this cause sure so i'll just uh, in india the this the largest vaccination scheme i think uh, we're all meant to log on to a website right. cohen and it's challenging for those of us who have access to laptops uh, and it's been challenging to get you know a slot right. i know it's getting a lot better so i'm not uh, you know complaining in that sense but what i've realized is that cohen is the cohen is the epitome of not being inclusive mm. the number of indians with laptops is so low so the mobile website is actually slower than the desktop or laptop site uh so if you're accessing cohen from your uh, mobile phone you're much less likely to be able to get initially it was impossible to get uh, a slot mm. so so it there's two things one it expects people um to have a laptop or access to a, a smartphone that's very fast access to swift data um access to understanding what needs to be done and be able to be digitally swift you know to be able to complete tasks on a digital platform in a very swift and um also very correct manner right. so if you're if it, you've punched in your aadhar card wrong for whatever reason it's not going to work um out for you so there's a lot of things that i know that people in mumbai are like oh you know i've i've been able to help my household mm. and my driver get vaccinated now imagine the you know billion of people <laughs> who are not your household right. helps and your drivers and are not necessarily um don't necessarily have access to digitally uh native people or digitally adept people um what about what about them and how do they get this vaccine how does this vaccine get rolled out in rural areas um how do they even understand how to use this web app mm-hmm. you know these are the sorts of things that i i I know it's very hard to make inclusive tech. It's very challenging and and the government's done a great job on rolling this out. I just feel that if inclusive tech was as thought about as, you know, okay, what's the www. you know, uh URL going to be? If in, how to make tech inclusive was talked about as and given as much thought, uh then perhaps we would come up with a better way especially for a country like india we need to be inclusive mm-hmm. yeah i i completely agree and uh, and this was a thought that came to my mind but you know didn't think beyond that right you know you do feel bad 
like as you said the haves people like us we are like yeah we wonder what these people are doing but what do i do about it right and right now when i heard mm-hmm. you speak you know i was like yeah and 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 i do hope people like you can do something about it ritu more power to you yeah. <laughs> i hope so too i i really think that you know to create inclusive tech is a matter of demand though more than supply mm-hmm. i feel that uh in a free market you know entrepreneurs co- governments companies everyone just moves towards where the demand is right so we demanded a vaccine we got a vaccine we demanded more vaccines we got more vaccines mm. um it's it's the way of the world and every shift that towards a more sustainable world towards more conscious choices has have actually come from awareness and demand first right in order for it to be a choice that is not about impact but actually about profit so impact on scale can only happen if it's profitable right and it's only going to be profitable if there's demand so i think a uh, part of for me part of the challenges i'm facing now is that how do we generate the first question is how do we generate demand for inclusive and ethical tech we all know that our data is being used our our brains are being hacked right Ma- thoughts are being put into our minds because we're consuming so much media whether we like to admit it or not the way we see the world is really colored by the media we have access to and that's pretty much owned by three or four companies and that's scary but we talk about it but we don't know how to fix it and the only way we fix it is if we say no to tech that is intrusive right. no to tech that's unethical uh there were times that you know we used to pay a lot for a long distance call you and i couldn't do this podcast for example sitting in different cities in our own homes um before what by creating um you know free technology by it's actually us that's the product and i think that penny needs to drop right mm. it it doesn't matter at an individual level the liberties that we're giving up because i mean i'm pretty f- under the radar you know no one really cares no one's going to uh ask facebook or or google for my data but what are we giving up as society when we choose to use these tools as much as it's for free and as and and we're getting connected in a in a way that's beautiful we're also giving up something and i just think that awareness as a collective on what liberties we're giving up um needs to be thought about mm. um and then you know solutions like duckduckgo and other more ethical solutions can start to become more viable economically mm hmm that's you know some serious thought that i don't know how to describe it you know it, it's really gotten serious suddenly uh it's gotten very serious yeah. but it is it is a serious yeah. thing i think um i think tech is going to shape the way we think the shape the way we vote uh the world your kids will live in is completely going to be changed because of social media mm-hmm. uh you know the news that we receive on is all based on algorithms um and the way we think is completely changing and i think all of that we just need to be aware and we need 
to create a little bit of demand for something that's that's more pure. I, I know that sounds very um, idealistic, but I think we can do it if we are aware. Hmm. There was a time when we weren't aware of whole foods. We were, you know, in the 90s, we were all drinking soda pop and we were eating chips mm, and mm. I don't know, like packaged foods really didn't have that much awareness. Now there's a complete shift towards whole foods. And I think it was that awareness over time, that social pressure as well, that availability that led us to making different choices. But it all started with demand. Yeah. Completely agree. Completely agree. So, you know, moving to that part of it, Ritu, uh, you know, what background do your clients come from in terms of, uh, you know, do you do you focus on clients who have these kind of demands or are you seeing more clients with this kind of demand? So we have clients that don't necessarily have this demand, but we kind of sneak it in there. Nice, <laughs> so nice. We, we definitely, I mean, there is an economic incentive to making inclusive technology. For example, making tech um, that is more female-friendly, making tech that is more friendly towards people of, you know, varied cognitive experiences, people with... Um, reading difficulties, etc. So, and also people, there's, there's a bank that over COVID, they realized uh, that a lot of their seniors had most of their wealth, but their seniors weren't able to access digital platforms. Mm. And uh, their seniors used, usually in India used to get visited by, you know, wealth experts, but that was all shut down. So the bank wanted to create senior-friendly technology, um, and that was a you know driven by profit initiative. Mm-hmm. And um, they've come to us to create an interface that's based on voice, so seniors can say things like, uh, like talk to the to the interface and say, uh, portfolio position today. You know, I want to change X Y Z. I want to transfer money. Mm. Uh, so the whole inter banking interactions will be done on voice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something beautiful to give seniors access to their own right. money. It's something that they've sort of felt that they've lost uh, over the last 15 months or mm-hmm. so. And I love that we're able to do that. And it's a for-profit initiative. Wow. Yeah, that makes sense. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure why clients would come to you because you're giving them a smart option and a more ethical and inclusive option. So that's amazing, Ritu. Keep going. <laughs> Thank you. So last but not the least, let's talk about the concept of Ikigai. And I know mm-hmm. that you um, you are aware of this concept for a long, long time. Uh, right. And uh, what it means to you. I think what it means to me is being in a place where I'm my authentic self and I'm not trying hard anymore. You know, I'm working Mm. hard, but I'm not trying. It's coming naturally. I am happy. Uh, I feel like I'm adding value and I have a lot of space in my heart for love 
before I found this peace, I was angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was less kind. Um, you know, when you're stressed, there's so much on your mind that you tend to, to project your grief onto other people. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to find reasons for why you are not where you want to be. But really, the only reason why I feel those of us who come from privileged backgrounds aren't where we want to be is ourselves. It's the fact that we are not connecting with our inner selves or we are living. um, Like, I know I did this when I started off my journey. I was definitely living, um, trying to live up to expectations that I had created for myself when I was very young. Exactly. And those expectations just stopped making sense. You know, being an actuary is something that uh, is very looked up to. It's a, you know, people are like, oh, she's an actuary. She must be really smart. And I love that validation, <laughs> but I hated it. You know, I, I hated the daily work. And was that sort of, you know, uh, oh, you're wonderful at parties worth the daily trauma? No way. Mm, mm. So, Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Thank you for sharing that very personal aspect of yours. And Ritu, uh, before we close, and I would really hate to close this conversation, but before we close, just wanted to um, hear from you um, in terms of the advice that you would like to give people who want to uh, follow their passion and also uh, make money at the end of the day. Yeah. I think it's... It's sort of cliched to say this, but it's a lot of trial and error. At least it has been for me. Um, And also the people I know who are at peace and very happy, there's been a lot of trial and error and a lot of failure. Mm -hmm. We're very risk averse, um, I feel, as a society in India. And that's what I've noticed. Just because we don't have the kind of systems to fall back on that you do in the developed world, like in Australia... You have unemployment pay, you have com- complete, your education is completely paid for by the government, your health is completely paid for. Um, so you can survive and live quite well, even if you are unemployed. So just the fact, the fear of failure is, 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 a big, is, not, is not the same in every country, True. right? The fear of failure is a construct of... Um, the economic and social conditions of, of wherever you live. So it's very easy for me with this sort of super cushy, uh, you know, if I fall, I fall on a cushion versus um, because of my Australian citizenship versus someone in India, if they fall, they might, and they don't have a family backing, they might fall on mm-hmm. concrete, you know? Mm-hmm. So what risk is, is very different to different people. But I think one of the things I've noticed is fail fail a lot and fail fast and start to calibrate and ask yourself, why did I, I fail and look inwards as opposed to externally? I think a lot of us initially start to blame external circumstances like, oh, my boss was like this or my, uh, you know, my ex-partner was, you know, mean to me and or my mother was, you know, her, her horrible to me while I was growing up. You know, people always have excuses or reasons as to why they think they're unhappy. And I think when you start to look inward, 
you can say, okay, I accept that all of this has happened, but it's brought me to where I am today. And how can I use those, those scars to really move in the next battle with calmness and serenity and a sense of like surrender to the universe and start to pick up a lot of, a lot of signals from the universe. I think when you're on your path, the universe sends you signals. I am speechless and I just want you to go on. <laughs> I wish this wouldn't end. Uh, but more power to you, Ritu. And I know your ikigai is that of being an entrepreneur who facilitates ethical and inclusive tech that's used to solve the world's problems. I think I would add with absolute empathy. You know, that's what was coming through in your voice. Empathy, kindness. And I think this is what the world needs more of. So as I said, once again, more power to you. Thank you so much for being here and sharing uh, your life's experiences with us. God bless you. Thank you for having me. I've listened to your previous podcasts and they've all been um, extraordinary people. Um, and I think you have a knack of bringing out the extraordinary and the ordinary. So thank you for that. Wow, that's that's uh, probably the kind, kindest thing I've heard this year. So thank you for making me feel so good as well. Take care, take care and we'll speak soon. Bye-bye. So lots of lessons there as usual for each one of us, whether related to Ikigai or otherwise. And the best thought that I'm taking home today is to add a sprinkle of empathy and kindness to everything that I do. Hope you enjoyed this interaction with a brilliant entrepreneur and I'm waiting to listen to your feedback at my email rjsujay at gmail.com. Till the next inspiring guest comes along, here's me saying take care, stay safe and keep following your Ikigai. <laughs>